Welcome to the Sermon of the Week at New Hope Community Church. We hope that you're blessed and encounter God's presence as you listen to this message. Uh, isn't it good just to worship together, get in God's presence? You know, if you're new here and you've never experienced that, that's like one of the biggest reasons we actually get together is just to worship and like, Lord, we love you. We love you so much. And welcome him into our heart. And then we give our heart back to him every week. So, all right. A couple little last conversations. Well, I love you guys. It is, uh, how many were part of everything we went through last week? It was a big weekend here last week. God did a lot of stuff. And uh, if you weren't here or you weren't part of it, you can listen to some of the messages online. Um, Danny Silk last week shared such an awesome message here, didn't he? Oh, man, so good. Danny is like one of the just generals in the body of Christ. And he has written some of the best stuff on relationships, on leadership, on culture, on working together. Um, and he was, it was just an honor to have him here last week. And, and I love it because, you know, it says that Jesus grew in favor with God and man. And your inability to grow in favor with man can limit your life and limit your growth and development. Um, so when we say, oh, it's just all about the Bible, it's all about this, it's not really... No, relationships are really important in how we relate with one another and how we have tough conversations. And as Danny would say, kingdom conversations or kingdom confrontation is really important. Um, so I love that. We welcomed him into our lives. He's a leader here for us as a church. We look to... He's uh, just a really great father in the faith. We, we are blessed here to have lots of great fathers in the faith. So many of them are here today. So it is so wonderful. Um, so I wanted to do today a little, something a little bit different. Ooh, I'll take one if we're giving out free water. Thanks, that's so great. Anything free, yes. Uh, you know, I want to more so have a conversation together today than a message. Is that okay? Conversation. It's like the buzzword now. It's not messages, it's conversations. <laughs> But I'm not trying to make it a trendy buzzword. <laughs> I just really want to share some things. You know, if you've noticed, I haven't been up here in over a month. And uh, God has been, you know, it's just kind of a season for us even of just pulling back and, you know, things that have been going on in our lives and in the lives of the church here. Um, so this is my first time being up here since mid-September, I think it was. Yeah, I've emceed. I haven't spoken, though, in, in quite a while. So it's good to be back up here. Um, and I think that, what Danny shared last week, if you weren't here for it, you know, that's, it's okay. You can go on and listen to it. But I want to highlight a couple quick things um, because I thought it would be helpful, a jumping off point. And Danny talked about dreaming and the you know, ability to dream. You know, how many know that we, dreams take courage? You know, to have dreams take courage, big time. He talked about slaves don't dream. You know, sons dream, slaves don't dream. You know, if we think we're in Christianity and we're just a slave to God, then you don't typically dream. You don't have dreams. Uh, but we're not slaves. We're sons and we're daughters. Uh, he talked about, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose, that scripture that is so amazing. May he grant you, Jesus, grant you to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. 
He talked about how dreams are non-negotiable. Dreams require courage. And then he talked about this one, the dogs of doom guard the door to your destiny. Right? Remember that picture he talked about? And uh, those dogs are just these little, tiny, little minions. I mean, they're not anything big, but they can seem really loud to us when we want to move forward, when we we face opposition, and we hear almost our own negative self-talk saying, no, don't do it, you can't do it. Here are all the voices of why we can't do it. Uh, But those dogs are not what we think they are, you know, and you can walk right through them and just stomp on them. I love that picture. Um, So that's kind of what Danny talked about. It was just, you know, daring to dream, and he shared it purposely, and I think, you know, as we've been talking about it this week, and Joy and I have been talking, um, we're just saying, you know, New Hope is in a season of dreaming again, and, you know, we are in a season of dreaming again. You know, you might be in a season of dreaming again, you know. I know new, we are, and I'm saying that as the, the leader of New Hope, we are in a season of dreaming again. You know, I am in a season of dreaming again. Um, and here's the thing. We were talking with some friends yesterday, some just great leaders. Yeah, we did a fun lunch for a few hours. And as we were talking and processing it, we were thinking, you know, I'm going to share a more vulnerable message today than maybe you typically hear from pastors who it's all about vision and charging and moving forward. But what happens when we don't have a lot of vision right now? Or what happens in your life if you get to a point and you don't have a lot of vision right now? You know, you know what you can do today, you know what you can do this week, but you don't have the five, ten-year plan laid out perfectly. Or things uh, that you had held deep in your heart turned out differently than what you thought. And, um, and I'm saying that for me, you know, is someone who is, is a vision person, I'm a leadership person. If you know me, I have read books on leadership for 20-plus years since I was in college like, I love it. I have them all in my office downstairs and at home. I mean, I just love that stuff, you know. Um, but what happens when you don't have a lot of vision at that moment? You know, how do we live our life? Um, what we talked about with some friends was um, that we're in the process right now of letting the Father love on us. You know, that's kind of hard when you're an action-oriented person. It's like, how many are more action-oriented people? <laughs> How many are more of just a lover type of person? It's like, I want more of you in my life, too. It's like, I'm looking around. Can we take some notes? You know, how many are more, I've got to be moving, doing something? I mean, that's not a bad thing. I am more like that. I'm going to be honest. But, you know, when everything gets stripped away and when some things change and then it reveals, okay, I don't have a lot of vision right now, God. Can I just be happy being a loved son? Am I adequate with who I am right now? That's a tough one. So that's, that's where I have been living, okay? So I'm living in the present right now. I'm letting the Father love on me. Uh, I'm not casting a lot of vision. Um, so I told you this would be more of a conversation, okay? Um, but I'm just going to share some things I think are helpful because last week what was really cool was when Danny shared, I hear a lot of feedback from people and things get back to me. And I heard, I mean, it was such a good thing. Danny came in and he stirred some things. And what he was doing was he's stirring, saying it's, it's time for us to dream. And to dream, some people to dream again. Uh, and what happens when, you know, I love it, because we have people here of all ages. We have people going to college that are big dreamers, right? We have people in their 60s and 70s who are like, well, how do I dream now in this stage of my life? What does that look like? 
And I think those are great questions to take to the Father and lay them out and say, Lord, help me in this. What is this supposed to look like for my life? I remember, um, you know, some dreams get fulfilled. I remember being a young business student at college. I went to Roberts Wesleyan for my undergraduate. And I remember in my early classes, we would have speakers come in. And I was like, you know, when you're, if you're, when you're in college, especially in business school, you know nothing about what business really is. I mean, you're reading stuff so detached from what any understanding of what really happens out in the world. Anyone knows who's you know, been there and started and it's like, man, I came out thinking I was ready to run a company and I ended up working in shipping, you know, or uh, I mean, like I'm packing boxes and it's like, that's part of your training, part of your growth. It's like, well, I thought I was capable of more. But I remember during my classes, I would see someone come in and he'd talk to the class and he'd be like, he, I would look at him and like, okay, he's arrived, wow. He did it. He's been successful, you know. And I was like, you know, 18 at the time, 19, 20, and I'd watch a successful person. I think, wow, how did he get there? It would blow my mind to think. I mean, as a young student, you just have no concept of like how to get there. But now I'm 40, and I'm that person that would go into this school and talk with the students, and I'm like, some dreams happen in your life. Some things. It takes time, um, but my dreaming now looks different than it did 20 years ago, uh, even for me, for my family, for us. So what do we do when our dreams either got dashed or they didn't work out the way we thought they were going to, uh, or what does it just look like to be in a season of dreaming? I had someone so wonderful come up last week uh, who wanted prayer, a dear friend and sister here, who said, I don't have any dreams. And it's like, okay, well, I really appreciate that honesty. Thank you. You know, we don't all have millions of dreams. Joy talked about she had to do an exercise and write out a hundred dreams that she had. That is super hard, especially for practical people. You know, more dreamers would have a whole bunch of, Josiah's probably got 200 dreams. You know, I might have five, okay? You know, um, so, so we're in a season of dreaming. Not a, we don't have a lot of vision right now. Uh, we may not have a lot of answers, but it's okay because we know the one who has the answers. And are we okay with that? You know, am I okay with that, okay? We're in a season of radical trust and radical honesty, you know? Um, you know, we were talking about that yesterday. We're just, we're in a season of radical trust and radical honesty. And can we all be radically honest and ra radically say, God, we are totally dependent on you. Our next steps, God, I am, I am a loved son right now. I am loving being loved on by you. That my vision, it, it's not dependent on you know, your love for me or where I'm going, but I can be a loved son right now. We were talking about this with our friends yesterday who are prominent leaders in, in the body of Christ, and they said, hey, by the way, radical trust and honesty is how revival breaks out. When you absolutely get so radical in your trust, in your trust of the Lord, that's how revival breaks out. So throw that out there for free, okay? Um, one of the things, too, that has been really cool is looking at, I've been so interested in this lately, but the whole process, I feel like it's getting popular again, like being a blacksmith and like forging steel. Right, Daniel? We were talking about this. Who knows? So like the process of making a sword, I've seen so many shows on this in recent years, and to take steel and to heat it to such an incredible degree that it ha can be pounded on without breaking and, and shaped. And so, I mean, the whole process of making swords and annealing and all that stuff has just been really been speaking to me. 
and you heat, um, long before that sword sees action, it goes through a forge. You know, way before that sword sees battle, it goes into an 1,800-degree process to be shaped and to get pounded and flipped over and pounded and then flipped back over and pounded and shaped. Um, you know, they heat the steel to the proper temperature to shape that sword, to shape that weapon. You know, and the Lord was speaking to me through this, and I had already been sharing it, and I talked with Daniel, who's like, somehow he's been very interested in this whole forging process, and I'm like, how are you going to do this in your house? I mean, you know, this is not like a thing that you can, like, get a forge and start doing it in your bedroom. you got to have a forge process, like this big oven and all this stuff. Um, but the cool thing is he allows us to go through the fire of life so that when we make it through, we come out shaped like something right? We go through the fire. He lets us go through that stuff. Does Jesus do all the pounding? No, I don't really think so. I think Jesus is a good father. Most fathers don't pound their kids, you know? I mean, I've never felt pounded by Jesus, okay? But life can feel like that. And we can go through stuff that he allows us to go through so that we can endure some stuff and come out on the other side and we're shaped like something, we're actually a weapon that's ready to be used, to be utilized, and to do some damage. So if you feel like you've been in a season of taking some pounding, you know, that God is going to use that. He will use it. He turns everything into good. And, you know, we have been there over the last couple of months. We've gone through some stuff. My family's gone through some stuff. We've taken a little bit of a pounding. Um, but we're coming through it stronger. And it doesn't mean you don't go down to the depths of it and you there's grieving and there's things that happen and questions and why God, you know, but you come out stronger if you allow the Lord to do his work. Um, so that's my question for us today is when everything is stripped away, are we happy to be a loved son or a loved daughter? If you're in a point in your life and the vision isn't clear or something has ended and you thought you had such hopes for it, and that's stripped away. Are you happy with who God made you? Can you be a loved son or a loved daughter? I want to read a little bit through the story of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, turn to Genesis, I think it's 39. I'm going to be using, the, or I'm sorry, 37. I'm going to be using the New American Standard. And I just felt to go through this a little bit with us today because the Lord has been speaking just through this story to me. Um, so this is Genesis 37, okay? Joseph, the story of Joseph is absolutely incredible. It's a whole bunch of chapters at the end of Genesis. Um, and when you read it, and if you can really read it and put yourself in his place, it is, it's amazing. I mean, there is, there's success in that story. There's betrayal. There's favor. There's abandonment. There's the whole gamut of emotions and successes and highs and lows and mountains and valleys. Wow. It's incredible. So I'm going to skip around and I'm going to try to give the verses out so we can get them up on the screen. Uh, but I am going to jump around a bit, okay? I just want to read this this morning. I want us to feel what he would have gone through, feel like what it would have felt like to be him. We read about Joseph. We hear in the, in the Christian world, in the charismatic world, well, you, the Joseph anointing upon you, brother, you have the Joseph anointing. Well, he went through a lot of stuff to become a leader. We don't talk about that. You know, we receive only the good. You know, Joseph anointing, praise God, yes, Lord, I receive it. 
But man, if you read all the chapters in between, you'd be like, oh, I don't know if I received that. <laughs> I don't know. I want the last chapter. So uh, Genesis 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Um, and it goes on to talk about the generations. Joseph was 17 years of age when pasturing the flock with his brothers. Uh, and it says that Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers and so they hated him and they couldn't speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. You know, and we don't know here for sure. Was this a dream in the night? Was this just a dream or a vision the Lord gave him? It doesn't give us all that detail. But I think either way, whether it was however he got the dream, I think it was something that he took and he held in his heart. And he, it would be like us getting a prophetic word today, and it's so clear, and it was confirmed by people, and you're like, yes, this is for me. This is something the Lord has. I'm going to hold this thing dear in my heart. That's what I feel like when I read this. Um, then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep rose up, also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. It's like, ooh, boy, I don't know if that was like the right timing to share that word with them. But... Oh, boy, he could have been a little more sensitive. <laughs> Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us, or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream, and he related it to his brothers, and he said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. It's like, oh, man, knife goes in your chest as you read that. You're like, wow, why did you have to share that? Uh, but it's dreams he's having, and he's sharing it. And we know now from some of the stuff we've read and talked about together that that was actually a significant dream. Um, it's not talking about the literal sun and the moon and the 11 stars. That's a Hebrew idiom. They would have understood what he was talking about, that he was saying the governing authorities are going to bow down to me. You know, When there's a, a shift in the sun and the moon and the stars, it's not talking about the literal sun, moon, and stars. It's talking about the authorities, the governments. It would have involved them and it would have involved everyone. So he was saying that there is going to be a big shift taking place. Guys, I had this dream, and I saw all the governments and the peoples of the world bowing down to me. Now, if you came to me and said that, I'd be like, um, okay, just sit on that word for a little while. <laughs> Maybe get that confirmed through a few friends. Uh, don't quit your job yet. Uh, so he related it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. And he said to him, what is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down to the ground? And it said his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the sayings in mind. I think that's such an interesting line. But the father kept the sayings in mind. He remembered. I think he knew there was something significant there. So from there we go on. I'm not going to read all of it because there's really a lot here. But... Um, we know that you know, Israel, the father, sends Joseph, go and be with your brothers, bring a report back to me about how they're doing with their shepherding. Uh, and he does. He runs out to them. They see him coming from afar. They plot to kill him. And they say, let's kill him and say a wild animal did it. Reuben says, no, that would be too hard for dad. Let's not do that. Let's throw him in this pit. So they did. They threw him in a pit. It's like, Reuben, you really want Reuben on your side, Okay. 
Unless you have abandonment issues, then you don't want Reuben around. Um, so they did that. Reuben, they threw him in the pit. Um, while Reuben was gone, they ended up selling him. They said, oh, let's sell him to some Midianite traders. They passed by. They pulled him up out of the pit. They sold him to the Ish Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And from there, they end up telling the father, who's devastated. They make up a story to say he was killed by wild animals. Uh, I really wonder if Israel, if the father thought that, or if he knew that his brothers killed him. But it's so interesting. So now we skip ahead, and I'm just thinking, okay, you had this dream, and almost immediately you find yourself in a pit and abandoned. It is striking. You know, I mean, how many of you had that? You felt like you had a good encounter with God. You had a prophetic word over your life, and then the next day you face immediate opposition. And it looks completely different. I mean, you couldn't be more starkly different there. Okay, the whole world authorities bowing down to you and being in a pit by yourself. I mean, it's, you really can't go any bigger than that. So, but I love it, though. Genesis 39 says that Joseph had been taken to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, captain of the bodyguard, Brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And then it says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And it says that Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. And then we know what happens from there. So wherever he was, he was gaining favor. He was putting his hand to work not understanding every, where everything was going, but I'm going to do the best job I can do. If there's something to run, I'm going to run it, and I'm going to do really well, and he had favor on him. I love that. Yeah. So we know what happens. Potiphar's wife tempts him. He leaves. She lies about him to her husband, says that he tried to lay with me, which wasn't true, and then he ends up going to jail only for having personal integrity. Like, he had integrity, that sent him to jail. Now he's like, God, where are you? First, I'm in a pit. Now I'm in a dungeon, and I was lied about, and I was mistreated, and it was so unfair. I mean, how can you, you can't read that without feeling that for him. That stinks, you know? So, um, so okay, from there we hear... Um, you know, he's in prison. But I love this. Right away, after he got thrown in jail, so Joseph's master took him and put him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. The next verse. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he extended kindness to him, and he gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. I love that. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Wow. Talk about turning something negative into something positive, you know. He wasn't just going to sit and be a victim to his circumstances. Um, I love, uh, if you go a little bit farther, uh, so we, we end up, we know that while he's in prison, he ends up meeting what, the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer gets a really good prophetic word, the baker gets one that you're going to die. Or like, the cupbearer word seemed way more exciting. Baker is told he's going to die. But I love, we get another piece of what Joseph is feeling like when he says to the cupbearer, after he gives him a dream, it's good. He says, you're going to get out in three days. Joseph says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, when you get out. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. 
And even, he, even here, I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. So we get a little glimpse as to what he was thinking, what he was feeling. Like he is feeling, uh, I didn't deserve this, but can you put in a good word for me and see if you can get me out? I've done nothing wrong. You know, it's like, ooh. So we know what happens uh, from there. Uh, they end up getting out. Joseph's still in prison. He ends up getting brought before Pharaoh in order to interpret Pharaoh's dream that there's going to be seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. Pharaoh is so amazed, he says, ah, who is in this land is as good as this guy? I want to put you in charge of everything. And he says something so powerful. He says, you shall be over my house, Pharaoh. I've been to Egypt, okay? I was in Egypt last year. There were no civilizations in the world like Egypt at that time. They dominated the face of the known world. They, they have the most incredible archaeological finds still in Egypt. And, I mean, they had the biggest kingdoms. They had the biggest palaces. There's a reason people go all over the world to see the Great Pyramid, because it's the biggest known structure still in the world at this time. The heaviest building on earth. You have to see it to believe it. They, there was nothing small about Egypt. And everything they did was a massive scale, and it's still there. And the, I think what the old pyramid is now 4,500 years old. 4,500, the oldest and largest standing structure. It's unbelievable. So to be put in charge of Egypt would be like be put in charge of America today. I mean, there's no other rival, right, that's on that level. Pharaoh says, you shall be over my whole house. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. I would say that's some favor, okay? <laughs> God has given him favor. So that's amazing. So we know what happens. And from there, it's amazing to read the end of the story. And the brothers come, and then there's tears, there's weeping. There, it's a story of forgiveness, intense forgiveness. It took 13 years for Joseph being thrown in a pit to become you know, the leader of Egypt with Pharaoh. There was a 13-year period of a lot of stuff was happening, and it wasn't really very encouraging up until right at the end. So you'd have to read those chapters. The one thing that I want to go to at the end was, and I love, this is such a story. It's a story of success and favor and heartache and forgiveness. But at the end, after Joseph meets his brothers, he meets his father, whose father thought he was dead. It says that he fell, they fell on each other's necks, kissing each other and uh, just weeping bitterly. Such an amazing reunion. It's pretty moving to read it. This is what Joseph says. So at the end of the story, Jacob dies. The father finally dies. He lived out in Egypt through all the famine. They had favor. They're all their families, you know, hundreds of families and descendants of Joseph uh, or Jacob came and lived in Egypt. So this is the beautiful thing. Joseph says to his brothers, his brothers thought they were going to kill him at the end because their dad's dead. You know, he's like, they're probably like, Joseph now wants to knock me off, you know, knock us off because dad's dead. Now he can kill us because we sold him into slavery. Joseph says, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to, br to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Joseph had amazing ability to know that all the stuff that I went through, we say God can turn stuff together for good. It is true. Everything in your life, God can turn together yeah, for good. When he was sold in a pit, when he was in a dungeon, he was thinking, there's something bigger. I know I had these dreams. They, they haven't happened yet. 
And boy, I'm going through stuff. This feels so dark. I don't see where it's going. But I think he held on to that stuff in his heart. At the end of his life, he was able to say, no, God allowed that stuff to happen so that you all could be saved. And, you know, he saved the remnant of Israel by bringing them to Egypt. And there wouldn't be an Israeli people if that had not happened. Uh, it got them out of dying and famine, got them to Egypt. Joseph said, no, all that stuff happened so that I could preserve life. He saw the good in it. He saw the good in it. And he went through a lot of stuff. And there's all types of stuff. There's abandonment, betrayal, heartache, favor, success. It's all in there. But I love him being able to see the big picture of what God was doing. So I am all about favor. I am all about, I believe in favor. I believe in success. Anything you put your hands to, I think God has, is, since the beginning, he wanted his people to look different. Amen. And if you are in your job, if you're working and you're in a dead end, just keep doing the best thing you can do until God shows you the next, next steps. Go after it, and you should be one of those ones they come to and say, you know what, I want to put you in charge of this whole group because you have such a good attitude. Somehow you keep stuff moving forward. You know, you're now in charge of this, and until the next thing God shows you, now you're running that, and you're in charge of that, and you're bringing stewardship in God's favor to it. Um, but I just want to share a few keys. I wanted to share that because, you know, some of us probably can really relate with the dynamics of that story. Does anyone feel like you can relate a little bit? feel like that? Anyone felt like you've been in a pit? Or you felt like you've been in a dungeon? It's felt dark? Well, God is the lifeline. He's the one who has the answers. You don't have to have all the answers right now. He does. We can lean into him and trust him. It is about radical trust. I want to read a few scriptures here in closing. Second uh, Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18. This is Peter preparing them at the, you know, they know, he knows Jerusalem's going to be destroyed in, in just a few years. He's, he's preparing the people. He's writing letters to the churches, preparing them for what's about to happen. So I feel like if everything's about to be destroyed and someone's writing me some last things to be aware of, I'm listening to that stuff pretty closely. I think we can really hear in some of these letters what was really on their heart. Peter says at the end of 2 Peter, 3.18, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think Joseph did that. I think he grew for as much as they could back then in the grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ in whatever season you find yourself in in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, Lord, I am saying, God, I'm going to continue to grow in your grace and in your knowledge. I don't understand everything perfectly, have vision, have everything figured out, but I'm going to grow in this season in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the grace is something that we can partake in. It's, it's a divine enablement to go through life. It's not just just uh, you know, being saved from something. It, that's It's that, but it's divine empowerment, divine enablement to move forward. The grace of God. Everything we do is because of the grace of God. And we want to grow in the knowledge. And then this one too, Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1, uh, 9 through 10. If you can, read the first chapter of Colossians if you have not read that in a while. I'm just saying, it is like one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible. It is like one massive run-on sentence that you could like peel apart every line and say, wow, it is amazing. 
So, um, so Colossians 1, 9, and 10. For this reason also, since the day we have heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Wow. I'm going to read that again, okay? I want you to get this. Don't just hear it, but like take it you know, for yourself. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is awesome. I mean, that is like absolutely just, I think, one of the greatest passages. I say that all the time, but to me, to me, it really is. And I wanted to talk about it. And if you read on past it, what I love too, it says for, you're, you're being built into this for steadfastness. That we're being built for stability, for steadfastness. That, um, you know, God is after that in you. He's after steadfastness and stability and perseverance. So that is what I have to share. I hope, you know, that ministers to you. I hope you can say, gosh, if I'm going through some stuff, it's okay. God is on the throne. Like he is leading me. He is guiding me. Lord, I don't have to have everything all totally figured out. I'm going to trust you in this season. And then there's going to be seasons to move forward. And we're going to know when those seasons are. But when you don't have a season that you have a lot of vision, take advantage of it and draw closer to the Lord. Because once the vision starts, you're going to be on a course. So take the time where you feel like you're more vulnerable or just connect with the Father. So I want to just stand up. I want to pray this Psalm 92 over us as we close. Um, and two, by the way, we have prophetic teams here today, prophetic ministry. So if you want to get a prophetic word, prophetic ministry, actually, I like to say better because it does minister to you. Um, come on up front. We're going to have teams up here. We're going to get music playing, and you guys can actually start that now while I pray. Um, but come on up and get prophetic ministry if you need it, okay? I mean, a prophetic word. I had a prophetic word um, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, and they came up to me, and they're like, pastor, 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 pastor. And it was like, it could not have been the furthest thing from my mind at that point, okay? Like, you know, just honestly, I had never even conceived of that thought. And I was actually horrified by it when I first heard it. And, uh, and here I am, you know? So it's, take the prophetic really seriously. And have friends that you share your words with and you pray together and have an encourage, have a dream partner, have an encouragement partner. Find people who are encouraging in your life and that you feel really good being around. You don't hang out with negative people because you'll become negative. So Psalm 92, Lord, I declare this over us today, that the righteous man or woman will flourish, that you have for your people to flourish in life. Doesn't mean we don't go through problems. In the midst of it, we can flourish. That we would grow like cedars in Lebanon. That we'd be planted in the house of the Lord. Planted in the house of the Lord. And I, I just, as I pray it, I want to teach on this for a second because 
I think we think of this as planted in church. It doesn't just mean that. Our lives don't just revolve around a temple like it did back then, but it's part of that, but it's connecting with each other. Uh, flourishing in the courts of God means that you love the presence of God, that you can't wait to get here and worship God, that you can't wait to connect, and, and you flourish in the courts of God, we're his, in the presence of God. So Lord, I declare that we flourish in the courts of our God. Yeah. And that we're still going to yield fruit in old age. Lord, I pray for fruit in this place and over the lives of everybody here, that there'd be a huge harvest of fruit, whatever age, that there's no limitation in the kingdom on age, on sex and gender and nationality or nothing. All those walls have been broken down. So we call a abundance, a harvest of fruit. And I pray too, even for the, the 60 plus Lord, that uh, you would make that clear for them, what this looks like in their lives, or that they're in the season of, of bearing fruit, of, of harvest, of seeing fruit in the lines below them. Lord, that there'd be fresh encouragement poured out, even for our 60-plus uh, friends and family, my, my own family here who are in that. I pray a blessing on them in this season. I pray abundant blessing to meet every financial need, uh, every care and concern, health needs that there'd be people around them that can take care of them when they're experiencing challenges. In Jesus' name, that there'd be fruit being yielded in old age. Um, and to, we want to declare that the Lord is upright. We say that you are our rock. You are our rock. And I just say that in, uh, put your hand over your heart and just say that, Jesus, you are my rock. Let's do it again. Jesus, you are my rock. We tether ourselves to you in every area of our lives. We love you so much that we can be honest with you. We can bring to you exactly what our challenges are, what we're going through, and you actually care. And you don't look at us and say, when you don't have vision, when you don't have this, well, get back up and start moving. You say, no, it's okay. You actually, you're the comforter. You send us the Holy Spirit that would comfort and bring comfort. So, Lord, we love you so much. We love you. Lord, let us bring the light of your presence out of this place to everybody that we encounter, that we would be like that glass of water that gives a refreshing drink to all that we come into contact with all week long. Thank you for your strength, Lord, that we can lean on. Thank you for the grace that empowers us through life. I pray a blessing on everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to find out more of what's happening here at New Hope, please contact newhopecom.org or download additional messages from our podcasts.